I'm Roger Rosenblatt, and this is Word for Word. Words on pieces of paper. Picture Jacob Chalice doing the words, engrossing the Constitution, as the process was called, copying it out at an elegant angle in large, legible script. The four sheets of parchment were vellum, the skin of a lamb or a calf stretched, scraped, and dried, the ink a blend of oak galls and dyes, the light an oil lamp, the instrument a feather quill. All nature contributing to the assignment, human nature in the form of Jacob Chalice, ordinary American citizen, son of a German immigrant to Philadelphia, soldier, patriot, father of eight, and at the time of the Constitutional Convention, assistant clerk to the Pennsylvania General Assembly. The convention handed Chalice the documents for copying on September 15, 1787. He had 40 hours to transfer the four sheets of parchment, 4,440 words. They paid him $30, good money for moonlighting. Two centuries later, Chalice becomes literary's triviality. His story faintly revived by a scholar, Arthur Plotnick, in a new biography. But the words on paper are given by centennial parades. Amazing little artifact. What started out at one man's writing desk eventually journeyed the country from city to city as the nation's capital moved, went into hiding during the War of 1812, was transferred from federal department to department until it wound up in the National Archives in Washington, sanctified in helium, and watched over by an electronic camera conceived by NASA. The Quill Age to the Space Age, and at every stage, a nation full of grateful believers making a constant noisy fuss over a piece of writing barely equivalent to a short story. Much theme, no plot, and characters inferred. Call the Constitution literature? Sarah Orne Jewett once wrote to Willa Cather, the thing that teases the mind over and over for years and at last gets itself put down rightly on paper, it belongs to literature. One would have to say that the Constitution qualifies, human minds having been teased for centuries with the possibility of making a government that would allow that mind to realize itself. The document shows other literary attributes as well, a grounding in the ideas of its time, economy of language, orderliness, symmetrical design, a strong arresting lead sentence. Then there's all that shapely ambiguity. Even those who have never read the document, enduring wars, debts, threats to health, privacy, equality, down to questions raised by AIDS and immigration, are convinced that the Constitution's words foresaw all that, which in a way they did. The Constitution is more than literature, but as literature, it is primarily a work of the imagination. It imagined a country, fantastic. More fantastic still, it imagined a country full of people imagining themselves. Within the exacting articles and stipulations, there was not only room to fly, but also the tacit encouragement to fly, including the instructions to fly traced delicately within the solid triangular concoction of the framers. 
even 200 years after the fact, when people debate whether the Constitution is fit for so complicated and demanding a time, Americans take as granted the right to grow into themselves. They must have read it somewhere, in a fable. Still, picture Chalice, before any of the hopes were raised or satisfied, the four skins laid out before him, the ink, the quill, and the lamp, and the words, like mysterious ciphers handed over to him by the best minds of the age, who had just sweated out a Philadelphia summer to claim intellectual territory, which was to translate to a civilization. Did Chalice read what he had copied when he finished? Would he have understood it if he had? How could he dream that all those words, thought out so meticulously, were conceived only for him? Citizen Chalice, bent over his desk in his country, deliberately, exquisitely, in the act of being born. 